And a good morning and welcome to the Mecca Sports Talk. I'm your host, Keith Dewar, for this Saturday, April the 2nd, 2022. And obviously, I haven't been on in the last couple of weeks, but I will be on often over the next little bit as we get set for the 2022 MLB season. Uh, a lot of things have been going on in the last month. I'll get to as many things as I can over the next 45 minutes to an hour or so, but First and foremost, the CBA with MLB that obviously was ratified a couple of weeks back. Now, I said specifically, if you want to see parity or if you want to see more competition among the haves and the have-nots, then you needed to institute a salary floor in MLB. And that was not done. So all we did basically with the collective bargaining agreement was put a band-aid on the issue. And that's not going to solve anything in the long term. In the short term, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, uh, the Angels, all these teams in big markets are going to still spend all the money they want. You know, you raise the luxury tax threshold a little bit. Yeah, whoop-de-doo. That doesn't matter. You know, minimum salary goes up, fine. You need to you needed to institute a salary floor. So you have the Pirates of the world and the Royals of the world and the A's of the world and the Rays of the world. Be more competitive on a consistent basis. Now I know the Rays are of a different breed altogether in the AL East, but when you talk about a salary floor, you're forcing teams to have to spend a certain amount of money every year in order to put a team out in the field. And right now, when you look at the Guardians or the Indians, I, I the hell with the friggin' Guardians. It's the Indians, as far as I'm concerned. It's all nonsense with that crap. It's the Indians. So you have the Indians, you have the, uh, the Orioles, you have the Pirates, and those three teams have a combined payroll less than what Max Scherzer is going to make in 2022. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. You cannot have that in MLB. I'm not saying now, whatever the number you want to make for the floor, 90 million, 100 million, I know money doesn't necessarily equal success and it doesn't necessarily equal failure. Because go look at the Rays, what they've done with a limited salary for the last how many years. But when you talk about, and, and you know, obviously the Dodgers are on the other side of the equation, the Mets are on the other side of the equation. And the Mets have had a great, a good-sized payroll for how many years? Even before Steve Cohen, they had a good-sized payroll. And, you know, for the most part, the Mets have been inconsistent as far as success goes. Now, you're talking about a team that has a $260, $270 million payroll. You would hope that they would be competitive for the division. Now, that gets me to the next issue with the Mets, which, of course, is Jacob deGrom. Now he has an issue, he has a stress reaction in his scapula and his shoulder. Well, hey, this is the guy that last year pitched about as good over about 100 innings as anybody has in, in history, or most certainly in, in this day and age, for sure. And he's hurt again now. And if you're a Met fan, you got to be extremely frustrated. And I, and I get it. I understand. It's It's... 
you know, you you're coming into this year saying, oh, you know, we have Scherzer and we have DeGrom and we have Bassett and we have Taekwon Walker who pitched good for about a half a year and then collapsed after that. And then, of course, you have Carlos Carrasco, who's an enigma, and you don't know what you're going to get out of him. You figure you get a, a full year out of him. Maybe he gives you 150 innings. Maybe. I don't think that's going to happen. But at the same time, same thing with Chris Bassett. Is he going to give you 150 innings? Well, the one thing we know for sure now is that Jacob deGrom isn't giving you 150 innings. You're hoping he gives you 50 at this stage. Because who knows when he's going to come back. Right now, with that injury, he's shut down till May. till early May. Then they're going to reevaluate him. Even if you get the best news in the world, you're not getting him back to early June. Maybe mid-June. And that's if, that's if everything goes right. If there's any hiccups along the way, you're talking the All-Star break. So, they got a major problem on their hands, the Mets. And now you're counting on a 38, 39-year-old starting pitcher... To be the workhorse for the team. And I'm telling you right now. If you think you're getting 200 innings out of, out of Max Scherzer. You got another thing coming. It's not going to happen. Not in this day and age. It's not going to happen. You got very few guys that even throw 180 innings now. Let alone 200. And also take into account the fact. That you had a shortened spring training as well. So. For the vast majority of starting pitchers out there, they're going to be babied along at the start of the year. You're going to have expanded rosters to 28 guys until May 1st. So teams obviously are going to probably, with that one or two extra players, add another bullpen piece in there, a long man or whatever, a stiff in the bullpen, whoever. And essentially, they're going to eat up innings. Now, there's also restrictions this year. You can only send players up and down a certain number of times and and whatnot. I like that. I mean, there's some things in the CBA I like and there's some I don't. The big thing I don't like, of course, is that set is no salary floor. So you, have, you still have the same damn problem now with these teams like the Pirates and the Royals who just are not going to be able to compete. Maybe one year there's an outlier. One year they compete, and then they go right back to utter garbage after that. But right now, when you talk about parity, there is none in MLB. None. 10 or 12 teams, you know, maybe 15 at the most. You could say, all right, they got a shot to, to do something, maybe make an impact, get to the playoffs, and do something. But on a local level, from the Mets' perspective right now, you know, they went out and they got Starlin Marte. They went out and they got Mark Canha. They, they obviously kept Nimmo around. They still got Alonzo. You're hoping for a rebound year from Jeff McNeil. You're hoping for a rebound year from Francisco Lador. He's looked good in the spring, but, you know, spring and regular season are two completely different things. So let's see him do it when the lights are on in the regular season. You figure Eduardo Escobar's your third baseman. You got James McCann up behind the plate, who's basically keeping the uh, catching spot warm for Francisco Alvarez eventually. I don't know. I still don't quite understand that signing of McCann for four years. That to me was ridiculous. Now, that was with the former administration before Billy Epler and company took over. But I, you know, that, that was a very puzzling move. 
So obviously the Mets are going to need to score runs. We know that. Their bullpen is all right. But this DeGrom injury is a major, major problem. You can't just, you know, replace somebody like him. Tyler McGill, yeah, okay, fine. He's not putting up DeGrom numbers. You don't know what you're going to get out of him, per se. But what we do know right now is that the Mets have a gaping hole in the starting rotation. And right now, why shouldn't they, why should they not talk to Oakland about Manaya and, Mont- and Montas, Frankie Montas? Why not? See what's out there. You know, Billy Epple is saying they're not going to look for outside help. Well, you damn for sure should look for outside help. Because not for nothing, the Braves ain't going anywhere. And the Phillies are better this year. You know, the Phillies may not win the division, but they're going to be one heck of a tough team to get through, especially with that lineup now that they have. With the acquisitions of Schwarber, with the acquisition of, of Castellanos. So right now, the, the Phillies, you know, they're pushing probably to that mid to upper 80 win total. And the Braves, hey, if everybody's talking about Freddie Freeman left, Freddie Freeman left, Freddie Freeman left, they replaced him with Matt Olson. And Matt Olson, not for nothing, is right on par with him. And you could argue he's better. You know, Freddie Freeman has the track record, the longer track record. So, of course, you will say Freddie Freeman's the better player. But realistically, when you have Olsen, who's like about four or five years younger, I don't think there's any doubt that the Braves didn't miss a beat there. And they won, remember, they won the championship last year without Ozuna, without Acuna, without Soroka. So right now, and, and what did they do in the offseason? They added Kenley Jansen. Their bullpen is better, drastically better now. And you have Max Fried at the top of the rotation. You have Ian Anderson. So their rotation is all right. Their rotation is fine. Maybe not at the, the Mets level, obviously, if they have a full staff. But the Braves' offense, go look around that team. What they have offensively. They missed Darno too, for a good significant portion of the year last year. And obviously Acuna was out. Ozuna had his issues off the field. They still have Albies. They still have Swanson. They brought back Eddie Rosario. The Braves are going to be just fine. And right now, with the DeGrom injury, I'm taking the Braves to win the division. Plain and simple. I, that's an easy decision in my eyes. Because you got a Met rotation that, to me, has way too many question marks as far as health goes. And if everything works itself out, then fine. You know, Scherzer throws 180 innings. You get an ample number of innings from Bassett and from Carrasco and from Walker. Then the Mets will be fine and they'll be a playoff team. But the anchor of your staff being out for potentially two, three months or more. Because who the hell knows with him. You saw what happened last year with all the injuries. You know, we don't know what, we don't even know what was wrong with him at the end of last year. What was wrong with him? Nobody knows. Nobody has a clue. We still don't know. In April 2022, what was wrong with him last year? Well, now we know he has a shoulder issue. And that's not good. 
Now, on the other side of the equation, in the Bronx, now I have not really discussed what I thought of what they've done in the offseason, the Yankees. And it's probably good I've been on mute, per se, for the last couple of weeks. Because I am a very unhappy Yankee fan right now. You know, you talk about they brought back Anthony Rizzo for two years, $32 million, and opt-out after one year. They traded Sanchez. They traded Gio Urshela. They brought in Josh Donaldson, who has an exorbitant salary of $25 million a year for two more years, for this year and next year. They brought in Kaino Falefa at shortstop to be a a, a gap or, or whatever. A, a, you know, to basically be there for a year until they bring up Volpe or Peraza. And they better work out because the Yankees could have gone out and gotten Matt Olsen in the offseason too. And they didn't do it. They could have gotten made a trade for a big name. They didn't do it. So I'm going to tell you now, Volpe and Peraza, one of those two better work out. Because if neither of them work out, then Cashman's head needs to put on a silver friggin' platter. Because I've had enough of his crap, as you know. And I don't care. People want to sit there and talk about his track record for over 20 years. I don't care. I talked about this last offseason. He had to go. And they decided to bring him back again. The only good thing you can say about this Yankee team right now is the fact that they broke up the core, per se, because they traded Sanchez, who needed to go. He needed to go. Now, I don't think... They allotted the money properly because they brought in Josh Donaldson who makes a ton of money. You know he ain't playing 150 games. He might play 100. You know, sure, you got your stopgap at shortstop, fine. And where was Gleyber Torres playing, by the way? Because now you brought back Rizzo, you have Lomayu at second base, you have Falefa at short, you have Donaldson at third. And you got uh, Stanton, is he playing the outfield all the time? I, I guess he will be. That's going to be a fun outfield to look at from a health perspective with, with Stanton, Hicks, and Judge. What's the over-under the number of games those three stiffs are going to miss? 120? You could probably mark it down right now, 120 games. Pick the over. And what are they doing to catcher? You know, they got Higashioka, who's looked very good in the spring, but again, like I said... Spring numbers don't mean anything. Let's see what he does in the regular season. And then the other guy whose name I can't pronounce, and he's hurt, by the way. So, I, you know, I'm just puzzled by the moves. And the other thing is, too, why have they not... They did not do anything with the starting rotation. They didn't address the rotation. I hope they do early in the season. Talk to Oakland. If they don't want Peraza and they don't want Volpe, make a friggin' deal. Trade friggin' Florial or somebody. Trade Andujar. He's rotting on this team. Get rid of him. Yankees have no use for him. So right now, I don't, I don't understand what they're doing. They got a $250 million payroll, and you would think that, holy smokes, they have a $100 million payroll. They could have gone out and signed Correa. Correa signed a friggin' deal with Minnesota, He's got opt-outs his first two years. The Yankees could have done that. Here, here's $40 million for the first year. You're over the luxury tax anyway. What the hell's the difference? You know, Falefa, yeah, fine. He's a good defender. I don't care. I want offense. He doesn't provide enough there. 
You got two black holes in your lineup, basically. Between catcher and between shortstop. And then who knows what you're getting out of Gleyber Torres. Is he going to give you the 2019 version? Is he going to give you the 2020 and 21 version? Maybe something in between? What the hell are you getting out of him? And obviously Matt Olson, yeah, not excuse me, not Matt Olson, Anthony Rizzo. He's going to be all right. Yeah, give you Gold Glove Cal of a defense. I understand the whole thing with analytics and this and that. Cashman wanted to, you know, defensive runs saved and this and that. All these garbage friggin' analytics statistics. I don't care about any of that crap. These the statistics I worry about are wins and losses. That's it. I don't care how you get there. Whether you outslug a team or whether you play great defense and this and that or a combination of both, just give me wins and give me not too many losses. So right now, I, from the Yankee perspective, I'm not happy with the moves they made. I think they could have gotten more back for, for Sanchez and Urshela because the thing is, you took back all this freaking salary in Josh Donaldson. And I'm telling you now, he, his ass better stay on the field. For 120 games plus. And I don't hear any crap about another calf injury with this guy. He's had them how many years already? In Toronto and in Minnesota. So his ass better stay in the field. You got you, Your calf is hurting? Get out there anyway. You got another calf. You got two of them? Make it happen. So, I, you know, the Yankees are definitely not the best team in the American League East this year. Because right now, that designation goes to Toronto. And look, for everybody that wants to sit and talk about Tampa with regards to you know their, their salary, their, their payroll, excuse me, every year that team overachieves from the perspective of whatever their payroll is in comparison to what their win and loss total is. And they're going to be dangerous still because Kevin Cash... Make sure that he puts out the best of the best every day for that team. Gives them the best opportunity to win. Kevin Cash is a top three manager in all of baseball. And basically every team would love to have him as the boss in the dugout. So Tampa, despite no Tyler Glass now this year, they're still going to be good. And they still got a lot of young talent on that team. So they're going to be dangerous. And then obviously I haven't even mentioned the Red Sox yet. And the Red Sox brought in Trevor Story. Now granted, you know, his contract, yeah, I mean, I know the Yankees were talking to him, but I wouldn't have brought him in for that kind of money and those number of years. No way. He'll do well in Boston because it's a hitter's ballpark. He goes from Colorado, which is obviously a hitter's haven, and now he goes to Boston with the Green Monster. So he'll do just fine there, playing second base. But when you talk about, you know, Chris Sale, obviously, who they need desperately. They need Hauk to have a good year in the rotation. You know, their rotation's a little bit iffy. And we know their bullpen is, you know, bullpen's all right. It's not great. You know, Matt Barnes looked good for four months and then looked terrible the last two. So obviously right now, the the Red Sox are going to, they're not going to roll over and play dead. If they get Chris Sale back and he gives you four months of, of, of starts, you'll take it. And he'll be all right. He's not going to be the Chris Sale of old, 
but the Red Sox will be competitive. So the Yankees right now, you know, to me, best case scenario, they finish second. Worst case scenario, they finish fourth. I mean, and are you really confident in their rotation when you have Cole who, you know, okay, fine. You figure he's going to be good. I don't know if he's going to necessarily be top five starter this year. We'll see. And, of course, then you have Montgomery, who will give you solid innings. You don't know what you're getting out of Severino. You don't know what you're getting out of Tyon. You don't know what you're getting out of Nesta Cortez Jr. Domingo Herman is out. So, again, I mean, are you really that confident in this rotation? And did they really improve themselves enough offensively? Uh, To me, the answer is no. Absolutely no. So, again, we'll see how it all plays out. Next week, I will be on to do previews of all the divisions. I will be doing... I'll split it up in three days. Do a West preview for both leagues and a Central preview for both leagues and an East preview for both leagues. Obviously a little more extensive on the East divisions because of the Mets and the Yankees. I will do over-unders, which I've already done a couple of bets for over-unders for 2022, which I'm confident about, I'm very confident about, in fact. So I think uh, those will work themselves out. And, And we'll see how it goes. So that's the baseball front. Again, not happy about the CBA situation for the most part. The stupid rule with this stupid runner on second base in extra innings. Get the frig rid of it. They got rid of it, then they brought it back. You know, they, they love the fake news over there too, apparently, in, in MLB headquarters. I can't stand that. I think that is totally ridiculous. You know, I know COVID's not going to zero, but at least they could have made things better, and gotten rid of that altogether. And I'm not fond of the playoff system either, to be honest. I think, you know, if you're going to go, go for it. Go for go for it all. Go for 14 teams. They went to 12. I still think that's not good because you're talking about now, let's say, the top team in, in baseball. When I will say like the Giants. The Giants won 107 games last year. What happens if they play a, uh, whatever the series is going to be? Three games? Or five games, and they lose in the first round to a team that won like 20 20 less games than them. You know, to me, I would have done 14 teams. You have the first, the best team in the league gets a bye. Two through set, two plays seven, three plays six, four plays five, and then the best team plays the worst remaining team left, and you go from there. That's what they should have done. Two more playoff teams means more money. So, I don't know. And then, of course, you got the Universal DH, which obviously will benefit a lot of teams, including the Mets, because you figure Robbie Cano's going to be spending a lot of time there. And they'll mix and match it. They'll put Dom Smith there. They'll put J.D. Davis there. They'll put, you know, Alonzo there every so often. They'll put Escobar there. They'll put Marte there. They'll put whoever to give guys a rest off their legs for a full game. So from, from their perspective, they got a veteran team. It benefits them for sure. Of course, one of their best hitters won't be hitting anymore, which is Jacob DeGrom, who was actually phenomenal last year hitting. 
But now he can't hit or pitch. So we'll see how that goes. Now, onto football. So, football-wise, we've seen a lot of things go on in the last couple of weeks. So, obviously, the main thing were the trades. A couple of the big trades. Devontae Adams going to the, to the Raiders. Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland, which... <sighs> Cleveland is a weird situation. They got a lot of talent there. And... It didn't come to fruition last year. And let's be honest. I, we don't know what you, what we're going to see out of Deshaun Watson going forward. You know, you would imagine he's going to be suspended for his off-the-field antics. And right now, when you think about that division, <clears throat> when you talk about Cincinnati, who made the Super Bowl last year, and they're not going anywhere... Baltimore still is Lamar Jackson. And realistically, that division is going to be tough. You know, Pittsburgh is not going to just roll over and play dead either. With Tomlin as your head coach. They always overachieve no matter what. So I don't, you know, Pittsburgh, I mean, they're not going to be a Super Bowl contender by any stretch. But that division is really good. And even if you get Deshaun Watson back. And let's say he gets suspended six games as an example. So maybe you take 2022 out of the equation. And, you know, you go to 2023 and beyond. Now, you know, I got to say, I mean, the AFC is tough. Look at the quarterbacks in the AFC alone. When you're talking about Josh Allen. And when you're talking about, obviously, a bunch of the other guys in the AFC. Herbert and Mahomes. Derek Carr's a decent quarterback. Now you have Russell Wilson in the AFC too. And you have Joe Burrow. And you have Lamar Jackson. And now you have Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. And I know he's old, but the guy could still play. So the AFC is just is just filtered with, with quarterbacks left and right who are solid. And that's not even talking about maybe Trevor Lawrence takes a step forward in year two for Jacksonville with Peterson as the head coach. Who knows? You know, in the NFC, it's like, damn, you're happy Tom Brady came back. Because the NFC is like, what the hell do you have a quarterback in that conference? Besides Rodgers. And now you have Brady. And if you want to see Dak Prescott, whatever. He's not on that level. So... Tom Brady coming back. Hey, look, Tampa's going to go for it again. You know, yeah, they were dominated against the Rams for three quarters in the in the divisional round in um, in Tampa, and then they almost made a miraculous comeback. But Tom Brady coming back. I mean, okay, fine. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's nothing left for him to prove, obviously. But the NFC, I mean, it, it, you look, it's the AFC with the haves and it's the NFC with the have-nots. Because right now, with the NFC, it's basically the Rams, it's the Bucks, and it's the Packers. And that's it. That's it. The AFC, who the heck knows? The AFC West, any of those four teams can maybe win the division if something, you know, falls a certain way. 
the Raiders are going to be pretty good. I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Now you got that bona fide number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams. You can see that going very well for the Raiders. So right now, and that and that's the thing. You know, I sit there and I, and, and look what I just said. When it comes to the AFC, you have all these different teams, all these different QBs on the precipice of, of being at the at the very top of their of their class per se or their profession. And you don't have this type of parity in baseball. You don't have it at all. You don't have it in basketball either. I'll get to that in a little bit too. But from a football perspective right now, and you know, locally speaking, I mean, I'm not going nuts about the free agent stuff because, I mean, like locally at least, it looks like the Jets have done more than the Giants have, really. The Giants, I, I don't know, you know, again, the Giants are a mess. You know, they're talking about they're not looking to trade Barkley. Why not? Why are you not looking to trade Barkley? Get rid of him. You should have never drafted him in the first place. Just like you shouldn't have drafted that stiff quarterback, too. But you decided to bring him in to screw things up and never stay in the field. So, again, the Giants right now, they got a lot of work to do. They got two top ten picks. I want to see what they do at the end of April with these picks. They taught, there, was room, there were rumors that they were talking about trading one of the picks for a, top, for a pick next year. For a first-round pick next year. Oh, really? Now, let's say you trade that pick. Let's say you trade the, what is it, the 8th and ninth pick that they have. Let's say you trade that to, I don't know, whoever. To a team that's a bottom feeder. What happens if that bottom feeder decides to win 10, 11 games next year? You never know. The NFL, you never know. Go look at Cincinnati. Four wins, and I know they lost Burrow last year, but they went from four wins to getting close to winning the Super Bowl. You know, we got rid of Gettleman and that hideous regime to bring in supposedly guys with some brains. Well, they better start using them because I'm telling you now, and, and they got a decision to make with Jones coming up too regarding his fifth-year contract, whether or not you want to bring him in and, and uh, for whatever it's going to be, $22 million, $20 million for his fifth year. You know, they got a decision to make on that front. I don't know what they're going to do. Obviously, the quarterback market now is is bare, unless you want to go at the Mayfield, which I do not. You know, if the Giants ever did that, I, I, I you know, I, I would just lose it. I would lose my mind. I would lose my mind. Right now, as you can see in the NFL, you have to have a quarterback. You have to have that general on the field, leading your team to success. If you don't have that Josh Allen out there, if you don't have that Russell Wilson out there, if you don't have that Justin Herbert out there, if you don't have that Patrick Mahomes out there, etc., 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 then you are not going to have success. Period. You need that quarterback. Is Daniel Jones the answer? He is not the answer. You suck anyway, so why the hell are you going to give him a fifth year? You think he's going to turn it around and be the savior for this team? I do not think so. Not a chance in the world that's going to happen. 
you know, the Jets, yeah, okay, fine. You want to see what Zach Wilson does in year number two? Is he the answer for the Jets? Who knows? He has more time than Daniel Jones does. You know, Daniel Jones, where he was taken in the draft, he needed to be an impactful quarterback by this stage. He has not been that at all. He's had roughly maybe four or five games in three years that you would say were upper echelon type of games. The game last year in New Orleans, the game down in Tampa his first year. Other than that, I mean, you can't think of an obvious one other than that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say maybe, yeah, one or two others he's had. But this is, but that every week, Aaron Rodgers has a good game. Almost every week. Almost every single week has a great game. Tom Brady, same thing. All these other guys in the AFC, same thing. And we're sitting here talking about Daniel Jones. Oh, he, you know, he maybe he'll turn things around. Maybe he'll turn the corner this year and this and that. He's had, like I said, three or four or five upper echelon games in three friggin' years. And you're going to sit there and tell me that this guy's the answer? Get the hell out of here. He's not the answer. Period. So the Giants front office better do something with these draft picks this year. And have a plan going forward. And to me, the plan going forward is you don't give Jones that fifth year option at all. You tell him, adios, take a hike. And that's it. If he has a great year this year, and then you got to try to sign him because he'll be a free agent, well, then you cross that bridge when you get there. Because otherwise you're going to have to start over again next year. And do you really think the Giants are winning 9, 10 games and being a playoff contender in 2022? Not a chance in the world that's happening. So again, right now, you know, you look, and some of the free agent signings, I mean, you look, the Chargers have definitely improved themselves. I think they're right now the, the favorite in the AFC West. You know, the, the Chiefs could not bring back Tyreek Hill because he wanted a lot of money. They knew they weren't going to be able to sign him. So he goes down to Miami. You know, and of course, now when you look at the Dolphins, they had a great finish to the season last year. But... Tyreek Hill now has Tua throwing to him. He doesn't have Patrick Mahomes throwing to him anymore. So don't expect Tyreek Hill to just pick up where he left off in Kansas City and now translate that down in Miami. I don't think you're going to see quite the same out of him. Because you need a quarterback. And Tua, to me, is not the answer down in Miami. Now, obviously, the Colts who are trying to upend the, the Titans in the AFC South. They brought in Matt Ryan. I still think the Titans are better than the Colts are, you know, slightly. But we'll see how that plays out in that division. Obviously, I already discussed the AFC North. AFC East, hey, look, you know, Miami's made a bunch of moves. But the AFC East, as we know, still runs through Buffalo. And right now... Until proven otherwise, they're the class of that division. And they've gotten better. And to me right now, the two best teams in the AFC at this moment are the Bills 
And I would probably say the Chargers. You know, you might you could make an argument for the bung, the Bengals, but I I would actually say the 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 Bills and the Chargers right now, as of today. Obviously, draft day comes around that could change, and it will change. NFC, hey, look, the Rams they get Bobby Wagner five years, fifty million. Guy's a Hall of Fame linebacker. They get better again. It's like, where do they get all this money from to just sign all these guys, bring all these guys in, this and that? I mean, Von Miller went to Buffalo, so I mean, okay, fine. So you're replacing basically Wagner, or excuse me, Miller with Wagner. So, I mean, that's fine and dandy, but the Rams are still going to be great. And the team to beat right now in the NFC. And then you got the Packers and you got the Bucks. And then after that, who the heck knows? Is Arizona going to take a step forward? They started off great last year, then they collapsed. And they got annihilated in the wild card game. The Cowgirls, who the heck knows with them, with their roster. We'll see how things play out on, on that front with, with the draft and any other free agent signings, etc. But, I, again, I I think right now, if you're talking about a team that likely is the Super Bowl favorite for next year, I think it's Buffalo. If I had to pick a team right now out of the 32, it's, it's Buffalo. But you have the draft coming up, and you got months and months until the regular season starts, so obviously a lot to go in regards to that. Now, in basketball... As far as, uh, well, hey, the next season's over. Thank God. And not for nothing, I said this months ago, they did not need to sign Randall to that crazy contract, which they did. And yeah, it wasn't a max contract, but you could see how he is now with this franchise and how he was not a number one option for a team, a good team. The Knicks are not a good team. You know, and R.J. Barrett has been mostly good the last couple of months. And you would think that maybe he can be the number one option for the Knicks going forward. We'll have to see how that plays out. But Julius Randle's contract is a major problem now for this team. And you're not going to get more than 60, um, 60 cents in the dollar for Randle because he's a head case. And his contract is too big. And his ego is too big. You know, you have to have a certain attitude and a certain personality to mesh with New York. And Julius Randle does not have that at all. And I'm tired of the antics with him. You know, he's supposed to be the leader of this team. And he has not shown that whatsoever. He has not shown himself to be a leader of this team at all. So whatever the Knicks need to do in the offseason, they need to get rid of him. Period. He's got to go. And I don't care. Whatever. You get 50 cents in the dollar, fine. Just get rid of him. And we've seen, and I knew, what we were going to see this year with this Knicks team. You know, you brought back the... You basically brought everybody back. And you see what this team is. They took a step down defensively. They still don't have enough shooting on this team at all. 
So they went from a team that was 41-31 and 31 last year, and now they're going to be about, you know, seven, eight games or so worse overall this year than they were last year. They need a point guard in the worst friggin' way. I, I hope to God that they friggin' decide to address this in the offseason and get themselves a bona fide point guard from somewhere. You know, you need, like in football, you have the quarterback. That's the, the general on the field. You need a floor general at point guard in the NBA. We know it's a guards league now, for the most part. I mean, unless you're talking about Giannis or KD or LeBron. But, you know, obviously a lot of the bigs now can shoot threes, just like the, the guards can. But when you talk about the Knicks... I, again, it's just, it's very frustrating because they, you know, they brought in Kemba Walker. That's turned into a total disaster. You know, quickly has shown flashes here and there, but you you can't have flashes. You need consistency. And he doesn't provide that. And basically, with the exception of R.J. Barrett, like I said, for the last couple of months, he's been brilliant. For the Knicks. They've had no consistency whatsoever from anybody in this team. Mitchell Robinson, yeah, will get you 15 boards, 3 blocks, 10 points, 5 of 5 shooting. And the next game, you know, he plays 14 minutes because he has 5 fouls. You know, Evan Fournier, that contract looks like garbage. Because he, he comes out, he scores 31-9, he scores 3 to next. So this team is poorly constructed. And you brought back Alec Burks. You brought back Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose has turned into basically nothing again because he's hurt again. You can't count on on guys like that in the long term. And even in the short term because how many games are you getting out of him? When was the last time he played? So these moves just made no sense. Alec Burks, okay, fine. He's a good role player. But they don't need role players. They need a bona fide star in this team. It's friggin' New York. Where the hell are the, where the hell when are we gonna see this team take a step forward and be relevant year after year after year? When are we gonna see it? It's been over twenty years of this already. I wanna see wins with this team. Get a friggin' point guard in here. Trade friggin' Randall in the offseason and figure this crap out. Now, in the other side, in, in the other borough in Brooklyn, now obviously with the Kyrie Irving situation having been rectified with the nonsensical mandate crap from the mayor and from the city, which is total nonsense, don't sit there and tell me for one moment that it's okay. To let the athletes play and the, and the performers come back with no mandate. But all the firefighters and all the EMS and all the other people that have been on the front lines for this pandemic since the very beginning. No, they, they can't have a job though. That's total BS. And everybody with, a, with any common sense knows it. But that's a whole different conversation altogether. From a sports perspective, Kyrie's back with Brooklyn. 
And obviously, when you look at their team right now, as long as they could get Ben Simmons to actually play a game and get out on the floor, Brooklyn's going to be a very dangerous team in the postseason. Now, it looks like they're going to be in the playing game or playing format. But if they get out of that and they get into the first round of the playoffs and they're playing a Milwaukee or they're playing Miami or they're playing Boston, do you want to be one of those teams and having to stare on the other side of the court at Kyrie and KD and potentially Ben Simmons and and Seth Curry and Dragic and some of these other young guys that they have on their front line in Brooklyn? I sure as hell don't. I mean, obviously, Brooklyn is totally capable of taking it all the way to the finals with what they have right now. You know, the East is very fascinating because, you know, Miami's gone through a stretch of games where they they couldn't get out of their own way. You had Jimmy Butler and, and Spolstra having an argument on the after a timeout or during a timeout and having to get separated. You know, realistically, though, Miami, I think if you look at everybody as a whole right now, that's currently situated in the top four or five in the in the East. You know, Philadelphia has issues. I, again, Harden, that move is going to come back to haunt Philadelphia. He's great. He's a great player. But at the end of the day, that team runs through Embiid. And to me, Philadelphia made a mistake making that trade with Brooklyn. And it's going to cost them now. And it's going to cost them down the road. Especially if they give Harden an extension which they're probably going to have to, to substantiate the trade that they made. But in my opinion, I think that trade, no good for Philadelphia. And I I honestly think, hey, if you put Brooklyn against Philly in the first round, are you taking Philly to beat Brooklyn? Even with the home court? I don't. I take Brooklyn. And I would take them in five games to beat Philly. Five games. But among those top teams that are fighting for the number one seed in the East, you know, the Robert Williams injury for, for Boston's a big injury. That's a big, big injury because he was a big presence in the middle for Boston. Did a lot of little things. So I, I think Boston, I would probably set them aside also along with Philadelphia. But the East runs through Miami. And it runs through Milwaukee. When we're talking about the top teams. I mean, it may still run through Brooklyn. But Milwaukee's been there. And Milwaukee's done that. And Milwaukee did it last year. Beating Phoenix in the finals. Miami, to me, has the most uh, interchangeable team. As far as, you know, when when you're just talking about their shooting... And the way they could play defense, you know, they're built, they're, Miami's built for the playoffs. So I think among the top teams, you know, because Milwaukee, I don't think they're quite as good as they were last year. You know, P.J. Tucker missing from the team, I think, is a big deal. And I know he's not a top player, but he was a great role player for that team last year. And I think ultimately that that's the one guy that was irreplaceable uh, for Milwaukee. So to me, I think right now, if I had to pick, and as long as they don't play them until the conference finals, 
I think the two teams that have the best shot of getting to the finals in the East are Miami and Brooklyn. Now, the West, hey, look. If the Warriors don't get Steph Curry back, then they're done. And look at Memphis last night beating Phoenix. Phoenix had a full team last night. Memphis beat them without Morant, without Bain, without Steven Adams. They were missing another guy or two, and they still beat them at home. So look out for Memphis. I mean, that team, you know, they they just, they're amazing. Absolutely amazing. Would it shock you if they beat Phoenix in the conference finals? No, I don't think so. Those two teams are far and away the best two in the in the uh, West. Now, if the, if the Warriors get back Steph Curry, then okay, fine. But I don't think they're good enough to beat Memphis in a seven-game series. And I sure as hell don't think they're good enough to beat Phoenix in a seven-game series. But right now, I mean, and, this, and the West has some good teams. I mean, Minnesota's playing good. Denver is still pretty good. Utah, nobody talks about Utah. And Utah's a good team. But right now, the class of the West, I mean, as we know, Phoenix and right now, Memphis. You know, those two teams, Miami and Brooklyn, if you come with any combination of those teams in the finals, it'd be very, it'd be fun to watch. You know, Phoenix has to win the title this year, though. They have to. You know, Chris Paul's getting up there. And obviously, Phoenix's role players have taken a step forward this year, too, which is why they've been so great. But go look at Memphis. Memphis has just, as I said, they are are so interchangeable, Memphis, that it doesn't matter who you throw in there. And And they still wind up having all this success. It doesn't matter who they put in the game. They're 20 and 2 without Morant. 20 and 2. How is that possible? They are, they, are, they are unbelievable. I'd love to see that team get to the finals. I mean, I don't know if they're going to beat Phoenix in a seven-game series. It, it would be interesting to watch. But they, they are one fun team to watch every night. And just, you know, of course, when you're a Knicks fan, it's like, yeah, well, they were one pick away from getting Morant. Yeah, well... Everything is one away with the Knicks. It's a total disaster with that franchise. Total disaster. But right now, man, it's really fun, I, I, I got to say, at, you know, to see if Phoenix and Memphis could play a seven-game series in the conference finals and maybe Brooklyn and Miami or, I mean, any of these teams. You know, I'd like to, like I said, I'd like to see Philly just get knocked out because Harden's a, an idiot as far as I'm concerned, with all the nonsense with him. You know, he doesn't deserve to win a title at all. Not at all. I feel bad for Embiid. I don't necessarily feel bad for Doc Rivers. But I still think right now the East runs through Brooklyn and and Miami. Now, if Robert Williams comes back for Boston and they could get past the first round of the playoffs... Then Boston has a shot because Boston's got a lot of interesting players in that team too. You know, and, and obviously Tatum and Brown have been great. You know, and Marcus Smart's been really good for Boston too. 
but I don't think they're. I don't think they have enough to beat Brooklyn or Miami. Even with Robert Williams, I, I just think that Miami and Brooklyn are both better as a whole. After that, then we'll see. Milwaukee, I just think is they, they're not. They just have something missing with that team, and that's even with Giannis being just totally unbelievable. I mean, that game against Brooklyn the other night, he was phenomenal in that uh, great overtime win for, for Milwaukee. And, you know, and that's another thing, too, I can't stand. The NBA has just gotten so soft. You know, Middleton gave a hard foul the other night, and he gets ejected. I mean, come on. Let the guys play. If it's a vicious thing, I understand. Like, speaking of which, Austin Rivers, he got he got ejected the other night because he faked an elbow at Lance Stevenson. He didn't touch him, and they eject him for that? I mean, what, what world are we living in now? How do, we, how, how do you eject a guy for that? He didn't elbow him. He didn't touch him. And he gets thrown out of the game? Can you imagine Charles Oakley or Patrick Ewing or Anthony Mason? Or, you know, Barkley or Carl Malone or, you know, any of these guys from the old days doing that type of thing, faking an elbow? First of all, they wouldn't have faked the elbow. They would have hit him. And it would have been a common foul back in the day. Now, forget it. God forbid you do that. You get arrested, basically. The NBA has gotten so soft. I, I, I can't take it no more with that crap. And back to baseball for a second. They talked about just a, a quick bit. They are now going to allow umpires to announce the uh, when there's a review or a challenge. The umpire will now announce it on the PA system. Wow, what a what a uh, you know what an idea! Who the heck thought of this one? Did you take this to Congress to get it approved? I mean, give me a break. Wow, baseball is common sense for once? I can't believe it. I mean, come on. Give me a break. Should have been doing this for years already. If you go to the game, what the hell are you... You don't know what's going on. What's the call? I don't know. Do you know what it is? I don't know what it is. So, you know, fine. You put it on the PA system. Great job. Great one figuring that out. So that that that's that's just that's just totally comical. Now, if you care about the World Cup, which I'm sure about maybe, you know, one and a half people do in, in the country. Uh the US got their draw yesterday. And of course they get England, who's a top five team. They get Iran, who, you know, obviously we know our history with that country. And then potentially they're going to probably pay, play Wales or maybe Scotland or Ukraine, but it looks like probably Wales among the among that group. So the U.S., are they going to get out of the first round? Well, you probably figure they're going to lose to England, so that means they got to beat Wales and they got to beat Iran. And I don't necessarily know if they could do that, the men's national team. And to see that Italy didn't make the World Cup is a disgrace. After they won the Euro Cup the last uh, well, last year, now they don't even make the World Cup? I mean, come on. 
you know, if you're an Italian, you like don't let these people don't let this national team touch a a strand of pasta for the next four years after that debacle. So the U.S. national team will see how they do in the World Cup in November in Qatar. I don't really know, you know, much about any of these teams, but looking at the U.S. national team, they better get out of the friggin' first round. I mean, obviously, it's fun to see them play in England, who we know they have a long history with that country from, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. And obviously, Iran with everything going on in the world right now. So, so we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, but man, if you watch that ceremony, uh, the whole process with the draw yesterday, as far as what country's playing who, oh my God, it's like watching paint dry. It's like, just give me the friggin' opponents. They took an hour to pick 32 teams. Just pick the damn teams. Next week, also, you have the Masters starting, which, hey, you know, the Masters is the Masters. That's the cream of the crop with golf. So, you know, if you're a golf fan, you're going to be glued to the TV from Thursday to Sunday next week. And Thursday is going to be a fun day because April 7th is opening day for baseball. April 7th is opening day for the Masters. We don't know if Tiger Woods is going to play. I mean... If he does, I don't see him really having much of an impact. But, I mean, again, right now, it's the usual suspects. It kind of stinks that you're not going to see Mickelson play this year for the first time since 1994. But the Masters is always fun to watch and always must-see TV. Uh, you know, and it's and when you watch the Masters, it feels like it's the unofficial start of spring also because... Usually it's 70, 80 degrees down there, this and that. I mean, in, in the New York metro area, it's like in the 50s. But, you know, when you see all the flowers blooming down there in, in uh, Augusta, you say to yourself, yeah, you know what? Spring is here. So that'll be fun to watch. And obviously MLB, we'll see how things play out with, of course, with the DeGrom situation. Uh, I will be on next week. To do my MLB previews, I will do over-unders also. I will do previews of the divisions. And we'll see how things play out for uh, the local teams. Again, way things stand right now, you got to probably figure Atlanta's the favorite in the NL East. you got to probably figure the Yankees are not the favorite in the AL East. And with good reason, because they have a general manager who and an owner who, as far as I'm concerned, might as well be shipped off to Pittsburgh and... Resurrect that franchise. Because right now, I am not happy with Cashman. I am not happy with the Steinbrenner family. I am not happy with anybody in that franchise right now. And Aaron Judge, is he going to sign an extension before opening day? Well, they got about four or five days left to do that. And they better get to it. Because if he goes, well, what the hell are you going to do next year? And I'm not saying you got to give him a crazy amount of money, but right now, that's the face of your franchise. Like it or not, it ain't Garrett Cole, it's Aaron Judge. So, again, if you want to hear the show, you could check me on Facebook at the Mecca Sports Talk. Uh, of course, on Instagram, as well as Spotify. And you could Google the Mecca Sports Talk as well. So I will be back on probably in about a day or two. 
to give some previews. Everybody enjoy your weekend, and I will talk to you soon.